get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday, January 30th, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Qatar's prime minister has announced a proposed framework for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. The Chinese embassy in the U.S. is marking 45 years of student exchanges, even as some Chinese students face difficulties entering the U.S. And French farmers are blocking roads around Paris in protest of rising prices and what they call unfair competition. In business, China's booming spring festival travel numbers. In sports, drama from the AFC Asian Cup. In culture and entertainment, Chinese citizens living in Japan hold their annual spring festival gala. Now the day's top stories. The Qatari Prime Minister says a framework on a phased ceasefire in Gaza has been reached. Sheikh Mohammed bin Abdulrahman Al Thani says progress has been made during his talks with top officials from Israel, the U.S. and Egypt. He says the framework, which might lead to a permanent ceasefire, is to be relayed to Hamas. The framework includes a phased truce that will see women and children hostages released first, with aid also entering besieged Gaza. It also includes the release of Palestinian detainees in Israeli prisons. A senior Hamas official says it wants a complete ceasefire instead of a temporary truce. The official says the rest of the details, including hostage release, can be discussed once the fighting stops. Israel says uh, the talks were constrictive, but there are still some significant gaps. Despite the ongoing peacemaking efforts, Israel has continued its assault on Gaza. The enclave's health ministry says Israeli bombing has killed over 200 people in 24 hours, including 20 members of one family. Hamas and the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine said on Monday that Israel must stop its offensive and withdraw from Gaza before any prisoner exchange takes place. Sarah Coates has more from Tel Aviv. Israel has been continuing to say that it will not completely pull out of the strip. It needs these hostages back first. And this has really been that main stumbling block there between Israel and Hamas. But look, according to these mediators, there is quiet optimism. They say that progress has been made, although a deal is not imminent. Now, according to Hebrew media, this is the outline of this framework. It would reportedly uh, be in phases, women, children, injured people to be released first. This could be for a pause in fighting of up to 45 days where for every hostage there would be between 100 and 250 Palestinian prisoners set free from Israeli jails. Now the next phase would see men released, non-soldiers, uh, for another pause in fighting while the final phase would see female, male soldiers released uh, as long uh, as well rather as dead bodies and this would be for an even larger number of Palestinian prisoners. But look, as I just said, the main stumbling block here, of course, is Hamas completely wants Israel to withdraw all of its forces from the Strip before any of these prisoners are released. Israel says that that is a complete red line. It wants the hostages back first. But there is confidence uh, among these mediators that they can lay some sort of groundwork here for a long-term peace, for an actual ceasefire, if these conditions are accepted first by Israel and Hamas. That was Sarah Coates reporting.
Washington says it's not looking for a war with Iran or seeking to escalate tensions in the Middle East. This comes after a deadly drone attack in Jordan by Iran-backed militants, which killed three U.S. soldiers and wounded more than 40 others. It's the first deadly strike against U.S. troops since the conflict between U.S.-backed Israel and Hamas erupted in October. It's also prompted fears of a major escalation in regional tensions. Nathan King has more. Yeah, Tower 22, no one's really heard of it, but it's on that very uh, porous border between Jordan, Iraq and Syria. Officially, about 350 personnel there, uh, largely for counter-terrorism efforts, they say, the American armed forces against forces uh, like ISIS. Now, this Islamic resistance army in Iraq claiming responsibility, a newish group. Uh, The Pentagon say they have uh, the backing of Iran. That's rejected uh, by Tehran and said they didn't have any influence in the operation at all. But with the first American dead since the Israel-Hamas war uh, in response to the October 7th uh, attacks, Uh, This is obviously stepping up a little. Deterrence has essentially failed for the U.S. Remember, they brought in two aircraft carriers and uh, allied forces. They've had attacks from the Houthis uh, on the Red Sea shipping, Hezbollah firing rockets. They're trying to pull Israel back from entering that conflict as well. And, you know, even though they say they are going to have a very consequential response Uh, John Kirby, the spokesperson for the National Security Council here at the White House, said they are not looking to escalate the war. But not escalating and responding. This is where the US, uh, as the global dominant power, is between a rock and a hard place. Uh, There are domestic calls in Congress from Republicans to hit Iran and hit Iran hard. Well, as you can hear from there, they don't know how much Iran uh, is responsible, whether they want to point the finger or not, and what sort of response uh, would it be. Joe Biden, the US president, said that at the time, if they respond too forcefully, they could be escalating uh, the conflict. They don't want a war Uh, with Iran. Iran doesn't want a war, but at the same time, feelings are running high. And of course, there is domestic issues too. This is an election year for the US president. That was Nathan King reporting. In meantime, the Iranian foreign minister and the Pakistani caretaker prime minister have met in person in Islamabad to uh, diffuse tensions that have built up around recent border clashes. Daniel Khan has details. During a joint press conference in Islamabad, Iranian Foreign Minister Hossein Amir Abdul-Ayan has accused third countries of backing militants in border regions shared by Pakistan and Iran. This statement follows heightened tensions between the two nations, triggered by a recent deadly Iranian airstrike in Pakistan, prompting reciprocal strikes by Islamabad. According to Pakistan's foreign office, Abdul Ayan's visit aims to bolster bilateral cooperation. He is on a one-day visit to Pakistan accompanied by a high-level delegation. The foreign office says discussions have been held focusing border security, terrorism and economic ties. Meanwhile, Pakistani officials have emphasized the commitment to mutual security and stability and have agreed to establish a high-level mechanism to oversee cooperation efforts. Both sides have condemned recent violence with Pakistan 
urging an immediate investigation into the killing of nine Pakistani workers in Iran's Sistan, Balochistan province. Experts believe the visit is a positive effort to de-escalate tensions and restore diplomatic relations between the neighboring countries. That was Daniel Khan in Islamabad. Coming up, difficulties for Chinese students entering the U.S. for school. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. Nine minutes past the hour. The Chinese embassy in the United States has held an event to mark 45 years of China-U.S. student exchanges, noting that there is currently 290,000 Chinese students in the U.S. Ambassador Xie Feng said education is a bridge fostering mutual understanding and affinity between the two peoples. He called for both countries to jointly push the boundaries of human knowledge and find solutions to global issues, such as climate change, food insecurity, and artificial intelligence. Meantime, Chinese ambassador expressed concern over Chinese students facing rejection from labs and universities in the United States. He urged the U.S. to immediately stop groundless interrogations, harassment, and repatriations of Chinese students students. Officials from China and the U.S. are meeting in Beijing to address fentanyl exports and abuse. It's the first meeting of the Working Group on Fentanyl Precursor Chemicals since the two countries restarted bilateral cooperation on narcotics. Zhou Jiaxin takes a closer look. The first formal meeting on Tuesday has been held by Chinese Ministry of Public Security uh, while the White House I noted that the U.S. delegation includes high-level officials from the Department of Homeland Security, Department of Justice, as well as the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration. We haven't yet been updated about their discussion, but China's top narcotics control officials previously stressed that the country has been engaging campaigns against fentanyl and its precursor chemicals in crackdown on illegal and criminal activities involving the smuggling, illicit manufacturing, trafficking and abuse of fentanyl-related uh, substances. Amid the geopolitical tensions between China and the U.S., the counter-narcotics uh, cooperation was among the topics Chinese President Xi Jinping and his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden agreed on uh, during their summit in San Francisco last November. To deliver on that, the U.S. side has uh, immediately lifted sanctions on relevant Chinese law enforcement institute, and China also uh, issued a public notice warning export orders of 51 precursor chemicals, many for the United States and Mexico, may face what it called long-arm jurisdiction and even stain operation. And U.S. officials uh, have also accused China of being the primary uh, source of the precursor chemicals uh, synthesized into fentanyl that the Mexican drug cartel smuggled into uh, the United States. Some U.S. lawmakers have blamed Beijing for roughly 100,000 U.S. deaths a year linked to the fentanyl abuse. And that explains uh, the U.S. motives pressing some Chinese, um, you know, charges against some Chinese uh, companies. And Chinese Foreign Ministry also said China firmly opposes smears and unilateral sanctions under the protest of fight against drugs. It says that the Chinese government has always enforced rigorous anti-drug measures with the strictest drug control policy in the world and its efforts widely recognized by the international community. Adding to that, China referred to the U.S. as, quote, a black hole and a source of problem for global drug control with 
5% of the world's population, about 80% of the global opioid have been consumed in the United States, making it the largest uh, major drug demand country. And the contacts uh, between China and the U.S. regarding vital issues, including military, climate, and anti-drug cooperation, were cut off after Washington disregarded Beijing's opposition and representation to uh, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan in 2022. So. Beijing says that the progress now uh, in resuming the cooperation has not come easy and needs to be doubly cherished by both sides, hoping that the U.S. side will work with China in the same direction and practically cooperate based on mutual respect, equality and mutual benefit. And that would uh, contribute to the improvement China-U.S. relations. That was Joe Jiaxin reporting. A decades-long endeavor to improve the environment has turned a, a stinky lake and shaman into a showcase of urban charm. Uh, the ambitious project started in the 1980s when the idea of environmental protection making way for economic development was still prevalent across China. Uh, Guayan visited the lake to find out more. For 72-year-old Wang Yini, Yundang Lake is her favorite spot to practice Tai Chi every morning. The rippling waves on the lake look so beautiful. And look over there, flocks of egrets are looking for food. Shaman's natural environment is fantastic and really good for the health of the locals, especially for the elderly. I'm really happy living here. Located at the heart of Xiamen, Yundang Lake is dubbed the Green Lung of the city. But just a few decades ago, the city was nowhere near this pretty. The air used to be filled with an overpowering stench. We didn't even dare to come near. The surface of the lake was murky. Like many other coastal cities in China, Xiamen started to reclaim land from the sea for manufacturing and farming in the 1970s to accommodate an increasing population and more business activities. The lagoon was created at that time to make room for industrial development. But a severe problem was soon evident. Many heavily polluting factories, such as paper mills, chemical plants and breweries, release their wastewater into the lake. Retired local official Zhang Yihe still remembers the sharp decline in water quality. At that time, 45% of industrial wastewater and half of local household sewage were discharged into the lake. The city stank from the pollution, and public complaints were mounting day by day. In the mid-1980s, fish and shrimps had become extinct in the lake. Wading birds disappeared. Residents called on the government for a solution to fix the environmental problem. Pollution not only drove away the birds and city dwellers, but also investment at a time when Xiamen had become a special economic zone. The image of the city was damaged, making it hardly able to attract investors. 
Back then, Zhang Yihe was the deputy director of the city's public utility bureau. In his words, there was no time for the government to hesitate, and he had to show resolute determination to tackle the problem. Efforts to address the environmental damage quickly started at a time when nearly the whole country was striving to grow the economy at the cost of everything else, including the environment. But authorities in Xiamen resolved to halt the discharge of untreated sewage, create drainage ditches, and close heavy polluted factories. Protecting the environment did come with a price tag, though. In the late 1980s, the money spent on treating wastewater, removing sediment, and improving infrastructure was astronomical for the city, with an annual GDP of 3.6 billion yuan, or 500 million U.S. dollars. In the years following 1988, 10 million yuan of fiscal funding went into the treatment of Yundan Lake every year. The allocation was equivalent to one tenth of the city's total annual infrastructure investment at that time. But nothing could slow down the city's efforts to restore the environment. So far, four stages of ecological restoration have been completed. The fifth phase is currently in progress. Nearly two billion yuan have been invested in the process, with more than a hundred polluting factories shut down or relocated. The cost is huge, yet more than worthwhile. With premium urban environment, Xiamen won a string of honors, including the UN Habitat Scroll of Honor Award. A diverse range of investments started flowing in because of the beautiful cityscape. In 2022, the city's GDP grew to 780 billion yuan, about 217 times that of 1988. Xiamen 呢，它本身具有这个得天独厚的这种自然环境。Xiamen is endowed with a unique natural environment with excellent air quality, picturesque coastlines, and rich biodiversity. Sun Yuanchen is a senior executive of Xiamen Green Development. The company, which is dedicated to building low-carbon architectures, has invested 70 billion yuan in building the highest skyscraper in Fujian Province near Yundan Lake. Businesses look at overall environmental conditions like air and water quality, noise levels, and also examine the city's environmental regulations and policies. The abundance of natural resources and the state of ecological conservation are also factors that we consider. These things directly impact our investments and corporate image. The development of Xiamen demonstrates that economic growth doesn't have to come at the expense of the ecological environment. The city is the best example of how China's development philosophy has transformed since the start of the reform and opening up 40 years ago. Retiree Zhang Yihe believes that this shift is crucial for the country's future development. We can't keep following the old approach of letting pollution happen and then trying to fix it. The cost of fixing the mistakes is just too high. Today, China is pursuing its own unique model of modernization, emphasizing the harmonious coexistence between humanity and nature. 
Many consider the decades-long ecological restoration around Yundang Lake in Xiamen as a pioneering example of this endeavor. That was Guayan reporting on ecological protection in Xiamen. Coming up, protesting farmers in France are blocking roads around Paris. The world is about to change. Warriors, assassins, fair maidens, court officials, and even emperors and heavenly immortals are nothing but pawns on a giant chessboard. Xu Fengnian, a playboy of national notoriety and heir to the empire's second most powerful man, finds himself embroiled in the depths of an unbeatable game. CGTN Radio invites you to immerse in a world brimming with heroism and follow a young man's odyssey in the audio drama series, The Sword Strider Saga. Now available on radio.cgtn.com and all the major podcast platforms. When courage meets wisdom, the sword scribes an immortal legend. 21 minutes past the hour. Uh, French farmers are stepping up protests in Paris by blockading motorways around the capital. They seek government action over issues including rising prices and what they describe as unfair competition from other countries. Uh, Russ Collin has more. The ongoing protests by French farmers are turning into a serious crisis for the government and for the new Prime Minister, Gabrielle Attal, who's not yet been in the job for a month. The Agriculture Secretary, and it is the Agricultural Ministry here in central Paris, well, Marc Fenot has said the government wants to emerge from this crisis and to provide concrete measures. The government has already acceded to some of the farmers' demands, including compensation for an agricultural fuel tax, but farmers say that they are going to go until the end, until all of their demands are met. And the sights on Monday of hundreds of farmers, tractors and protesters blockading many major roads into and out of Paris is surely focusing government's minds, particularly ahead of a general policy declaration speech that was set to be made by the Prime Minister Gabriel Attal on Tuesday. And the public politicians and media will be watching to see if he makes any reference to the protests or any new measures for the agriculture sector in that speech set for Tuesday. Now, the farmers wanted to blockade uh, many of the roads into and out of major cities, and they were successful in doing so, really disrupting traffic, especially coming into Paris on Monday afternoon uh, local time. Uh, They also wanted to blockade a major wholesale food market on the outskirts of Paris, Rungis Market, but the government said that was uh, a red line for them. They said they were deploying 15,000 extra police officers to monitor the protests, maintain order and ensure the free flow of food and goods through Runji's market. And some three million tons of food goes through that market every day. French farmers have been protesting for more than a week over a range of issues from high production costs to low salaries, cheap imports, uh, fuel taxes, red tape, also price pressures from the retailers, a feeling that rural life is being forgotten about by those in central government and also the impact on their sector of environmental transition and climate change policies. That was uh, Russ Collin reporting.
Protests by farmers are also underway in Belgium, with tractors blocking highways in the southern part of the country. At least 30 tractors were parked up on a road south of Brussels. Many farmers have spent the night sleeping in their cabs or around a bonfire. They've also parked tractors in the Square de Meuse, uh, which is three blocks from the EU Parliament. The farmers are blaming the European Union for what they say are increasingly stringent agricultural standards, which make their businesses unprofitable and leave them undercut by cheaper foreign imports. Protester Judy Peters says they'll not leave until their demands are met. In any case, it's really time for everyone, for all countries, time for things to change. And I think that we have taken strong action. We haven't often come out on the highways like this to say that we aren't happy and cause diversions. And we have the support of Brussels. So, of course, we will have colleagues from other countries who will be coming too. And so, in a way or another, they have to do something. The protest echoes that one that's happening in France, where farmers have also parked tractors to block highways around Paris. Mexican President Henri Manuel López Obrador says closing borders is demagogic. The statement comes amid ongoing discussions in the U.S. Senate regarding potential border reforms. López Obrador highlighted the extensive economic and commercial ties between Mexico and the United States, questioning the feasibility of such proposals. Pues eso no es serio, con todo respeto. ¿Cómo vamos a resolver los problemas de migración? Well, that's not realistic. With all due respect, how are we going to solve migration problems with wars? How are we going to solve migration problems by closing the border? Why these proposals? Because elections are coming. Estas propuestas. Porque hay elecciones. And uh, Biden, who is seeking another term in the November 5th elections, has faced a record number of migrant detentions. Uh, Republicans argue that uh, he should have maintained the restrictive policies of former President Donald Trump, the frontrunner for the GOP nomination. Brazilian federal police have searched properties linked to Carlos Bolsonaro, a son of former President Jair Bolsonaro. The move comes amid an ongoing probe into suspected illegal spying on political foes during the former president's tenure. A spokesperson for his family says Jair Bolsonaro and his sons were not present at their beach house in Angra de Reyes when police showed up. He also denied reports that police had taken a laptop belonging to Carlos. The federal police are investigating accusations of illegal monitoring of citizens by the Brazilian intelligence agency during uh, Jair Bolsonaro's term from 2019 to 2022. And Carlos is suspected of using data illegally collected by the agency. The military leaderships in Mali and Burkina Faso have sent formal notice of their withdrawal from the Economic Community of West African States, or ECOWAS. Uh, Niger is expected to follow suit. The trio announced their bid to leave as they accused the regional body of becoming a threat to its member states. Specifically, they alleged that ECOWAS had failed to support their fight against terrorism and insecurity while imposing illegal sanctions. ECOWAS says the withdrawal process could take up to a year to complete. Adeji Badamosi reports on the far-reaching implications on the three nations' decision. The military leaderships of Mali, Burkina Faso and Niger have had frosty relations with ECOWAS ever since they took power in their respective countries through military coups. ECOWAS had been engaged in talks with all three around concrete plans for a transition to democracy. 
But all of that now appears to be up in smoke with the decision by the three countries to pull out of ECOWAS. ECOWAS has since put out a statement saying it had yet to receive any official communication from the three countries, confirming their decision to leave the regional bloc. It says, however, it remains committed to finding a negotiated solution to the political impasse and promised further pronouncements on the issue. Should the three countries choose to stand their ground and leave the regional bloc, the decision could seriously impact their trade relations with the remaining ECOWAS member states, as well as impede the flow of goods and services. It's the first time in its almost 50-year history that ECOWAS is facing the potential exit of three members at the same time. The three countries have since forced their own bloc, known as the Alliance of Sahel States, which they will likely look to fortify. We're likely to see more talks between the three countries and ECOWAS in the coming days and weeks to try and resolve this issue. But if the three insist on leaving the bloc, it could also have uh, ramifications on their relationships with the wider African Union. That was Deji Batamosi reporting. Uh, Beijing down to minus five overnight. Wednesday will be cloudy with the high of plus three. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Qatar's prime minister has announced a proposed framework for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. The Chinese embassy in the U.S. is marking 45 years of student exchanges, even as some Chinese students face difficulties entering the U.S. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. An additional railway company, Deutsche director of the International Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday. Still to come. In business, China's booming Spring Festival travel numbers. In sports, drama from the AFC Asian Cup. In culture and entertainment, Chinese citizens living in Japan have held their annual Spring Festival Gala. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with the day's headline news, here's Tianyu. 
Thank you, Shane. A Chinese diplomat has called for mutual respect and sincerity for the steady development of Sino-Ukrainian relations. Chinese Vice Foreign Minister Sun Weidong met Ukrainian Ambassador to China Pablo Ryabkin on Monday. Ryabkin stressed the importance of developing Ukraine-China ties, saying his country is committed to the One China principle and closer bilateral cooperation. The two sides also exchanged views on issues of common concern, including the Ukraine crisis. The Hong Kong Special Administrative Region is conducting a public consultation on a domestic national security law. Residents are welcome to offer their views during a one-month period. Local authorities say the new article aims to counter activities that endanger national security. Ukraine and Hungary have moved towards organizing a meeting between the leaders of the two countries. The head of the Ukrainian president's office met the Hungarian foreign minister in the Ukrainian city of Ushhorod. The two sides set the meeting between Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban will open a new page in bilateral relations. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says his country expects Hungary to approve Sweden's NATO accession bid. Sweden brings tremendous capabilities to the alliance in every domain. Um, Hungary now will uh, have to act in order to complete the process of Sweden's accession, but I fully anticipate that that will happen in the weeks ahead when Hungary's parliament returns. Hungary remains the only NATO member that has not approved Sweden's application for joining the military alliance. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan approved the ratification of Sweden's NATO membership after the parliament passed a bill to ratify the accession protocol last week. Sweden and Finland applied to become the 31st and 32nd members of NATO in 2022. Their accession requires the unanimous approval of all members of the alliance. Sales of U.S. military equipment to foreign governments hit a record high of 238 billion U.S. dollars in 2023, jumping 16 percent. The figures underpin expectations of stronger sales for top U.S. defense contractors, including Lockheed Martin, General Dynamics, and Northrop Grumman, whose shares are forecast to rise amid rising global instability. The U.S. State Department said that arms sales and transfers are viewed as important U.S. foreign policy tools with potential long-term implications for regional and global security. Meanwhile, a bicameral coalition of nearly 20 Democrats sent a letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken to urge the State Department to provide information on the government's decision to sell arms to Israel without explicit congressional approval. The UK government is planning to ban disposable vapes after research revealed that the use of the vapes had tripled among children. The Department of Education says its own research shows that in 2023, around 70% of vapors aged between 11 and 17 in the UK were using disposable vapes. The Prime Minister Rishi Sunak was talking to children at a school in the north of England on Monday to emphasize the unknown long-term health impacts of vapes. Talk to any parent or teacher, as I've been doing here at this school in Darlington this morning, they'll talk about the worrying rise in vaping amongst children. Now, children shouldn't be vaping. We don't want them to get addicted. We still don't understand the full long-term health impacts of vaping. So it's right that we take strong action to stamp this out. That's what we're doing, banning disposable vapes. The Education Department says the ban is being introduced after public consultation showed 70% of parents, teachers and healthcare workers were in favour of the action. 
Chile's Santiago is under red alert for scorching heat waves sweeping parts of the country, with the capital expected to swelter for the entire week. The week's hottest day is expected to hit 35 degrees Celsius. Locals find relief in city fountains, and some face challenges due to rising water costs. City resident Lucia Nunes expressed the impact of the heat on daily life. We recently paid 1,300 pesos, about 1.5 US dollars, for a bottle of water. I have to drink at least three liters of water due to an illness I have, so I have to wander around with my bottle. But I can't walk around with very big bottles, so I carry the smaller bottle around. Water stations offer a solution, allowing people to refill bottles and avoid constant purchases. Amid an extreme UV index, officials are cautioning people to stay indoors, remain hydrated and keep cool. Neuralink founder Elon Musk says his neurotech startup has implanted its device in a human for the first time. Musk says the patient is recovering well. The company is developing a brain implant aimed at helping patients with severe paralysis control external technologies using only neural signals. It began recruiting patients for its first in-human clinical trial last autumn after the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved the study in May. Thank you very much. That was Tian Lu with uh, your headline news. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's booming Spring Festival travel numbers. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. 60 minutes of comprehensive news. Your window on China and the world. 37 past the hour now. Turning to business and here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese mainland markets closed lower on Tuesday. Timothy Pope has more. Uh, the Shanghai Composite Index fell about 1.8%, heading back towards 2,800 points. Uh, the uh, index has uh, more shares, of course, with larger market caps, and those are uh, a little more popular at the moment. Uh, the smaller cap indexes are doing uh, even worse. The Shenzhen Component, the Chinex, the Star 50, uh, all are being hit with heavier losses in every sector trading lower. Looking at reasons behind it, uh, it, it looks as though people are just sort of picking up where they left off. We've seen uh, Vice Premier Hurley Fung call on uh, government departments to show some more support for listed companies. He said uh, it's essential to boost confidence and stabilise the capital markets. It's also emerged that uh, part of the rally uh, last week was driven by foreign hedge funds. Uh, We saw a report from Goldman Sachs, uh, a note to their clients, uh, suggesting uh, that uh, the foreign hedge funds went on their uh, biggest three-day buying spree of Chinese mainland shares in five years. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped more than 2.3%. In Japan, the Nikkei increased more than 0.1%. Official data shows that major enterprises in China's cultural sector and related businesses saw a stellar increase in revenue and profits in 2023. According to the National Bureau of Statistics, the surveyed 73,000 enterprises raked in nearly 13 trillion yuan, or about 1.8 trillion US dollars, in combined revenue last year, up 8.2% from 2022. The Bureau says profits of the firms rocketed nearly 31% from year-on-year to nearly 1.16 trillion yuan. IT services, digital content services and internet cultural and entertainment platforms significantly powered the rapid growth. 
Tuesday is the fifth day of the Spring Festival travel rush in China. More than 150 million train tickets have sold as of Monday afternoon, double the amount of last year. Transport authorities estimate 37 million cars on the country's expressways on a daily basis. That marks a seven and a half percent increase with compared with a year ago. Meanwhile, the meteorological authorities have issued alerts for rain and heavy snow for, from January 31st until February 5th. Much of the country's northeastern and central regions will experience snowfall and blizzards, while many parts of the east and southeastern regions will brace for rainstorms. Official data shows that in 2023, trade volume between China and Malaysia reached over 190 billion U.S. dollars. China has been Malaysia's largest trading partner for 14 years as of 2022. China's main ex- imports from Malaysia include integrated circuits, computers, and component parts, and palm oil. Meanwhile, the China Council for the Promotion of International Trade is visiting Malaysia, Singapore, and Japan. The visit will last until next Tuesday. For more on the reaction from Malaysia, Zhang Junfeng spoke with Ryan Mouser, a reporter based in Kuala Lumpur. Well, the visit was for the joint meeting of the Malaysia-China Business Council, the first time it's been held in person since the pandemic. And the、uh, head of the China Council for, Tra-、uh, for Trade Promotion, Investment Promotion, brought a large delegation with him. It included representatives of numerous industries, of cities and regions, of trade industries, of some of these big trade fairs that China has, especially the one that's looking to promote the integration of supply chains. Part of which is very important. Malaysia being a very important part of China's supply chain in the electronics sector. There was also a very high-level、uh, turnout from the Malaysian side too. Strong business turnout, government turnout as well. The prime minister's、uh, political secretary was there. There was a speech by the deputy trade minister as well as by Run Hengbon,、uh, the、uh, head of the China Trade Promotion and in,、uh, Investment、uh, Agency. And of course, all this is coinciding with the 50th anniversary of diplomatic ties between the two countries. So it takes on a special significance. The trade is already very deep, as you said. Malaysia, China has been Malaysia's number one trading partner for 15 straight years. But where we've seen things really take off in recent years, since the advent of the Belt and Road Initiative, is on the investment front. Malaysia actually used to be a bigger investor in China than the other way around, but that's really turned on its head since the Belt and Road Initiative. And China has invested billions of dollars in multiple industries, as you also mentioned. Just since Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim took power late in 2022, there have been billions more dollars worth of pledged investment by Chinese companies in joint ventures, looking to collaborate with Malaysia, looking to use Malaysia as a springboard into Southeast Asia and beyond. And that was an appeal by Malaysia's trade minister. That's something that others. From the China side, also talked about is about Malaysia's potential as a hub for Chinese business. That the two countries can collaborate and use Malaysia, given its geopolitical positioning, its strategic positioning within ASEAN, within Asia. They can use it as a springboard into other parts of the world, particularly in Southeast Asia. So, really, this meeting is about. Strengthening bonds, deepening bonds, about looking ahead to the 50th anniversary of diplomatic ties, not only to celebrate the political connections between the countries, but to deepen the trade, investment, and people-to-people ties too. Very positive takeaway from all the speakers, and certainly we expect this to be just the first 
of a number of events that will happen during this year that will focus on the political, on the economic, on the people-to-people -people ties as they celebrate, the two countries celebrate 50 years of diplomatic ties. That was Ryan Mauser reporting in Kuala Lumpur. The China Council for the Promotion of International Trade says the satisfaction of surveyed foreign-founded enterprises with the country's business environment continued to improve in the fourth quarter of 2023. The proportion of satisfactory or above evaluations for all indicators increased compared to the third quarter. Nearly 70% of the enterprises say they have confidence in the Chinese market in the next five years, with a monthly increase of about 1.8 points. More than 90% of the enterprises say the appeal of the Chinese, company, Chinese market has increased or remained stable. Meantime, the Trade Council also says it will organize over 1,000 batches of business delegations to participate in overseas exhibitions, negotiations and inspections. The Thousand Groups Going Global initiative aims to help companies secure orders and expand markets and support local investment promotion efforts. The destination includes the US, the, uh, Europe, as well as ASEAN and Latin American countries. In recent years, Chengdu has been actively promoting the e-commerce plus traditional industries model to boost foreign trade. Juju takes a look to takes you to an e-commerce foreign trade company in the city to delve deeper into the strategy. The Chengdu Municipal Bureau of Commerce has introduced an action plan to facilitate its traditional manufacturing industries to go international through e-commerce platforms. To achieve this, it emphasizes collaboration with foreign trade service companies. There are around 3,000 cross-border e-commerce companies here in Chengdu, and in the first 11 months of last year, their total import and export surged over 10% year-on-year, despite amid challenges for China's foreign trade. This growth can be attributed to the innovative services provided by these companies to support traditional manufacturing sectors. We offer domestic sales and operational solutions to our customers in traditional industries, along with warehousing and logistics services. With warehouses in both East and West China, we can significantly reduce their shipping costs. Moreover, the company automates the weighing, sorting and shipping processes for products from traditional industries. Food packages ordered by consumers, we utilize automated assembly lines for packaging. Here, we have automated weighing and sorting equipment. Previously, weighing required a significant amount of manual labor, but now it's a simple automated process. Looking ahead, the Sichuan Provincial Business Work Conference aims to help set up 1,000 new import and export businesses this year. That was Juju reporting. Elon Musk has reclaimed the title of the world's richest person with his net worth, surpassing that of Bernard Arnault, the chairman of luxury goods giant LVMH. This comes after Tesla's stock price surged by nearly 4.2%, bringing its total market value to nearly 607 billion US dollars. Finally, uh, Toyota has uh, urged 50,000 U.S. vehicles owners to get immediate recall repairs because an airbag inflator could explode and potentially kill motorists. The Japanese automaker says the do-not-drive advisory covers some 20, 2003 to 2004 Corollas and 2004 to 2005 RAV4s with Takara airbag inflators.
very much. Uh, thanks very much. That was uh, Wang Zahong with Business. And you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, some drama from the AFC Asian Cup. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Uh, 47 minutes past the hour now. And turning to sports, here is Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. In the AFC Asian Cup, Jordan came from behind with two stoppage time goals to beat Iraq in the dramatic last 16 tie. Iraq's Ayman Hussein was sent off moments after putting his team within sight of the quarterfinals. The striker was shown a second yellow card for excessive celebrations after firing Iraq 2-1 ahead. Yasin al Arab leveled for Jordan in the fifth minute of added time from a rebound, and Nazar al Rashdan netted winner from outside the box two minutes later. Jordan coach Hussein Amuta says the team played out its game plan and it paid off. <laughs> The match was a very difficult one, and Iraq is a very strong team. They deserve to qualify to the next stage. But we played our cards well as we played our system and were able to direct the match to our favor. We tried to absorb Iraq's pressure, and we played our counterattack very smartly as planned. The effort we put into the match was in the right aspects, and we also deserve to reach the quarterfinals. The controversial sending off incident continued in the press conference room as Iraqi journalists blamed head coach Jesus Casas and his players. I am very sad to see that reaction from the Iraqi journalists here. I didn't expect them to stop supporting us after we lost. It seems they were waiting for this opportunity to attack me, their team and the federation and everyone else. Jordan next plays Tajikistan in the quarterfinals. Meanwhile, host Qatar reached the last state by beating Palestine 2-1. Now in the Africa Cup of Nations, Congo knocked out Egypt with an 8-7 win on penalties after the teams finished one all after extra time in the round of 16 match. Egyptian goalkeeper Mohamed Abu Gabel struck the crossbar with his spot kick, which cost the seven-time champion the victory. Host the Cote d'Ivoire also rolled into the AFCON quarterfinals after beating defending champion Senegal 5-4 on penalties. Cote d'Ivoire midfielder Jean Michael Seri says his side showed resilience facing the strong opponent. We were just calm. It's true that we took a goal at the start, but at halftime, the coach told us to continue with the intensity that we put in, particularly from the 20th minute until the 47th minute. So we did well, and here we showed a lot of solidarity, and here we are, rewarded. Cote d'Ivoire will meet the winners between Mali and Burkina Faso on Saturday. Lionel Messi and Inter Miami kicked off their tour of Saudi Arabia with the 4-3 defeat to Al-Hilal. While Messi got on the score sheet with a second-half penalty, Malcolm came up with a decisive goal to win the match in the 88th minute. The Major League Soccer team is playing two games in Saudi as part of its preseason preparations. A potential showdown with Cristiano Ronaldo's Al-Nasa on Thursday is the most anticipated match. Turning to the Gangwon Winter Youth Olympics, Kim Hyun Yoon became the first male skater from South Korea to win a medal at an Olympic figure skating event. 
the 17-year-old came from behind in the free skate to clinch gold in front of his home crowd. He moved up from the bronze position to top the podium, holding off Slovakia's Adam Hagara by just half a point. China's Tian Tonghe, who was competing with the foot injury, finished eighth. I think my performance overall was good, finishing the short program and free skate without any big mistakes. I will take some rest and hopefully my foot can get better so that I can do my best in the team event. Li Yanhao of New Zealand took the bronze medal. IOC President Thomas Park says the first Olympic edition of eSports is to come out no later than 2026. During the IOC session in October last year, the IOC announced the plans to create the Olympic eSports Games. Bach says the plan is not 100% set yet, but the study is making great process. The IOC launched the Olympic eSports Week in Singapore last year. Bach says the Olympic eSports event could include virtual sports, meaning eSports with physical activity, as well as some of the most popular eGames compliant with Olympic values. Organizers for the 2026 Milan Cortina Winter Olympics say they are convinced that they can build a bobsled track in record time amid a standoff with the International Olympic Committee. The IOC wants um, an existing foreign venue used instead to cut costs. Italian luge team coach Armin Zugler says IOC's suggestion of using tracks in nearby Austria or Switzerland doesn't make sense because neither facility is ready for a modern Olympics. The contentious issue is due to be resolved following a board meeting of the local organizing committee. A local construction company has offered to rebuild a century-old track in Cortina for around 84 million U.S. dollars. And that's all for sports. Right, thank you very much. That was Yang Guang reporting. Uh, coming up in culture and entertainment, uh, Chinese citizens living in Japan have held their annual Spring Festival Gala. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China mm. and the rest of the world. 53 past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment. Chinese citizens living in Japan have held their annual Spring Festival Gala in Tokyo. People who attended the event said that it was a big success. Terence Terashima reports. The 2024 Spring Festival Gala for the Year of the Dragon, Oulun, has taken place in central Tokyo for overseas Chinese. The event Saturday evening was attended by around 1,000 guests, including Ambassador to Japan Wu Jianhao and former Japanese Prime Minister Yukio Hatoyama. 2024 is the 75th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China. We're comprehensively advancing the great cause of building a strong country through national rejuvenation with Chinese-style modernization and promoting the building of a community with a shared future for mankind. At the end of last year, President Xi Jinping and Prime Minister Kishida held talks, and I'm happy to see signs that relations between Japan and China are gradually improving. With the help of the overseas Chinese residing in Japan, gathered here today, I believe we can make this a possibility. This is the fourth year the event has been held, as it also took place 
during the COVID-19 pandemic. But the organizers say they've gone the extra mile this year to demonstrate their hopes for a prosperous future. It took us longer to prepare this year. The event is the largest in terms of production costs and number of staff. We've also welcomed a team of experienced directors to create a stage that will please many Chinese people. I hope you get to feel the warmth of your homeland through this stage. The event was live-streamed to 130 countries. Last year, over 30 million people are reported to have watched it online. The celebrations for the Chinese New Year ended successfully. Around 300 performers, some are invited from China and others based here in Japan, offered a feast of dance and music. That was Terence Terashima on the Spring Festival Gala in Tokyo. A section of uh, the new wing of the Shanghai Museum will showcase Sanxingdui artifacts uh, starting on Friday. It'll be the largest and most high-profile showcase of Sanxingdui artifacts outside of Sichuan province, where the ancient archaeological site is located. Uh, relics have uh, now settled in the new museum in Pudong. The exhibition will run through May 20th. Shanghai Museum restored some of the 360 artifacts, and some will be on display for the first time. Shanghai Museum East still open to the public in three phases, with the first being the ancient Chinese Bronze Gallery. The second will be open before the end of June. A new Netflix documentary goes deep inside the recording session of the 1985 single We Are the World. The recording, 39 years ago, gathered the biggest stars in the music world in a recording studio in Los Angeles for an all-night session that they hoped might alter music history. The song for African Famine Relief included the voices of Michael Jackson, Willie Nelson, Bob Dylan, Ray Charles, Dinah Moore, and many others. Uh, now, Netflix's uh, The Greatest Night in Pop offers a behind-the-scenes look at the com complex birth of that mega-hit. Uh, the filmmakers got fresh insights after landing interviews with some of the stars, explaining how the song was completed. And uh, that show started streaming on Monday. Gru and the Minions are back. Despicable Me 4 has released its first trailer. Now, the film, which will hit theaters in July, continues the popular animated franchise, which follows the reformed supervillain Gru trying to do good and finding family while he's at it. Despicable Me 4 introduces a new character voiced by Will Ferrell as Gru's new nemesis. In 2017, Despicable Me 3 was a rousing box office success, crossing the $1 billion milestone worldwide and exceeding the Shrek series as the highest-grossing animated film franchise. We're at 58 minutes past the hour now. And checking the forecast before we go for the day, Beijing's down to minus 5 on Tuesday evening. Wednesday will be cloudy. The high is plus 3. Nanchung has a slight rainfall tonight and tomorrow. The low is 7 degrees, a high of 17. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's at 9 this evening. Wednesday, we'll see a light rainfall in 13 degrees. Vientiane's at 17 overnight, then sunny skies and uh, 31 degrees. Uh, Phnom Penh's 23 overnight, then clouds in 33. In Africa, Nairobi you'll see cloudy skies and a high of 27 on Wednesday. Kampala's 19 overnight. Tomorrow, some rainfall and 27 degrees. Uh, Juba's at uh, 21 tonight. Tomorrow's cloudy and 36. And finally, to Oceania, Port Vila's 24 this evening, then overcast and 30. Apia will be cloudy on Wednesday with a high of 31 degrees Celsius. 
That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Qatar's prime minister has announced a proposed framework for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. The Chinese embassy in the U.S. is marking 45 years of student exchanges, even as some Chinese students face difficulties entering the U.S. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 